Cadwell, the writer, producer, and host of the show, and on today's episode, I'll be looking into the complex world of financial credit. To help me better understand the role credit plays in a building trades professional's life and career, I've invited back to the show Patrick Town, Director of Operations for Union Home Plus. Accompanying him is Serge Bagdasarov. We'll start a conversation by learning how to establish and maintain good credit, and we'll finish up by giving you solid advice on how you can repair bad credit should you have it. Along the way, we'll discuss what FICO scores are, how you can create good credit without owing anyone anything, and why wage garnishments can be so detrimental to your financial health and well-being. To learn more about the topic, be sure to visit the show notes after this episode or visit the Grit Nation podcast website at www.gritnationpodcast.com. And now on to the show. Patrick Town and Serge Bagdasarov. Welcome to Grit Nation. How are you doing today, gentlemen? Very well, thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, I am also happy to be here. Thank you for welcoming us. So, uh, gentlemen, today we're talking about uh, credit. And I'll be completely honest with you, if it wasn't for the... For, for the good grace of me meeting someone who was financially savvy, my wife 25 years ago, I would probably still be languishing in sort of a, uh, the credit doldrums. I had no idea as I worked my way through my 20s and my early 30s that I needed to establish credit. I never had any credit. I paid everything for cash. I lived predominantly uh, overseas where I never had a credit record established here in the U.S. So when I came back to the States in the late 1990s, one of the very first things I wanted to do was to lease a pager so that companies, diving companies, could get in touch with me. And I was told at that time that my credit was not bad, it was non-existent, and that they could not lease me a $79 pager, that I had to buy it. And then after that, I started making the payments on the pager. I started. I got a credit card finally. I uh, started making, uh, bought a car. And I started establishing credit pretty late in the game. I'm trying to avoid, uh, help set people up to avoid getting into the situation that I found myself in. Again, not bad credit, not good credit, just zero credit. And I know that's a bit extreme for the, for the average American right now, but um, how do we go about defining what credit is, Serge? Credit. I personally believe in a debt-free life, you guys. I teach and I educate people for over 15 years now. I teach seminars on how to build, establish, and maintain good credit without borrowing a single dime, believe it or not. It's a reality. You can have great credit and not borrow a single dime from anyone. Credit, we always hear the term FICO. FICO is uh, is coming back from the Fair ISAC Corporation that was established in the late 1950s, actually, 1956, uh, to be precise. Serge, that's real quick. That's called your FICO score? Yes. Okay. And and the higher the FICO score, the better your credit is perceived to be? Is that how it, it works yes. out? Yes, sir. And is there a range? Is there a spectrum from, from low end to high end? What's like the best FICO score you can get in the credit world? The the best I've seen is 850. And that was my mother-in-law. Nice. <laughs> the lowest 
the lowest is 300. And I have yet to see somebody with 300. I've never seen that in my life. And I have over probably over 30,000 credit reports in my in my system. And I've never seen anybody with that 300. So FICO is an, uh, uh, the name of an organization that started in the 1950s, which is sort of accredited with establishing the FICO score that has a range somewhere between 300 and 850. 850 yes. being the best, 300 being the lowest. Okay, I'm, I'm catching up there. Thanks. So you were saying that mortgage companies primarily rely on FICO scores. Why is that? Patrick, what do you think? Well, I think in the, in, in the, in the qualifying criteria requirements for consumers, mortgages comes down to two things. Your ability to pay, that's your income, and your willingness to pay, that's your credit. And the credit scoring is a gauge of risk. So if you have a very low credit score, you have a very high risk of default. Typically, when you get someone who's got 400, 500, 600 credit scores, you're going to find that they have a couple of late payments and collections maybe, uh, maybe a couple of accounts that are over their limit and a number of inquiries, right? Conversely, if you have someone with an 815 credit score, you won't see any of that anywhere on their credit report. Uh, they have a very low balance to limit on their credit cards. Um, and the same, and they don't seem to borrow money to live and keep their world's cash flow moving. What I mean by that simply is that uh, the algorithms and, and the sophistication of these of the credit reporting bureaus is so advanced, uh, it's almost scary accurate. They can tell when someone's going to be default. For a lender, what matters is how do we provide a product or service as fiduciaries to a person within that full range and still keep compliant with the law and fairness. And so what we've been able to do is determine, uh, once that risk is determined, that will determine everything from the maximum loan amount, the required down payment, the maximum debt they're allowed to carry, even the actual interest rate. I mean, just to be, give you a quick example of, of how, this, how important this is. And, and let me make one comment that I think is the most impactful and important comment that I can make today to any of your listeners. Your credit score and your credit is the single most powerful resource you contain in your arsenal. If you have that, you don't even need money to buy a house, right? You, it'll affect your rent. It'll affect your credit card debt. It'll affect everything across the board. And so if a person's got a 640 credit score versus, say, a 740, well, on a Washington State bond loan, which is zero down, or an FHA loan, that is a 1% interest rate gap. Well, that knocks you out of about 10 to 25% more home. So not only do you have to pay a higher interest rate, you now lower your qualifying ability and it gets worse from there. So from that position, they say, well, you're allowed to have a 50% debt ratio, meaning 50% of your total income can be used towards your house and your debt. This is not a bad thing. This is designed to help consumers so they don't run themselves into a wall and find themselves so riddled in debt. And so when it comes to uh, when we have clients that come in and the first thing we do after an application is pull their credit report, it gives us the full story. From there, we can determine one of three pathways. One, if a person's credit is, has lots of collections and judgments and garnishments, and it looks pretty ugly. It's just they, they had some tough times, uh, whether or not they were their decisions or not, all of us have had something over the years. Then that is probably the best pathway towards credit repair and credit clearance through LSI and through Serge's organization. If an individual, if I can look at the credit and say, well, you know, 
you don't have any late payments, you don't have any judgments or collections, but you've got a, a 645 credit score. And then you look a little bit deeper and you find out that they've got 15 credit cards, half are above the limit, everything else is right at the limit, which means they're a paycheck away from having that mountain crumble. And so what we'll do in that situation is we'll use and deploy a technology called rapid rescore. I won't get in the weeds, but this is a very, very powerful tool we use on about, oh, probably 20 to 30 percent of our clients. Um, we don't sell the program because we're not allowed to. We have to pay for it. Consumer cannot pay for it. It's rather spendy per line item and so forth. Um, but it will. It, it is a. It is a, a technology program that has an algorithm that can look at the profile of the borrower's credit and determine which accounts must be paid down by what amount to attain a given credit score goal. So if you're a 640, you need to get to 680 to get the best price in and above. Those uh, dynamics are pressed in the system, and it comes back literally in moments with pay this account down by, I mean, to the penny, these amounts right here. From there, we look at the borrower's cash assets and we find out, okay, we're going to use that for closing costs. We're going to have the seller pay closing costs now. Use the rest of your reserves, pay those accounts down, get the credit score back up. It takes about four or five days. And instead of counting the transaction, instead of having to initiate maybe a little bit longer, more, more deeply rooted, thorough credit cleanup through, say, LSI, we can deploy that. Um, below that, 640s, 580s, there's some serious issues taking place. So lenders are going to look at not just the credit score. They're going to look at, are we going to put you in financial harm's way if we continue forward giving you more money? And you, we need to dig deeper. We need to find out. We care about people. And as fiduciaries, we don't have a choice. We legally have to make sure that all of, every one of our working families has the right type of, of structure to help support them. And so um, everyone we talk to has one of three lanes to go into. And and just to reiterate, this isn't just for those who are apprentices coming into the system with, with a, a different type of steady income, those that are working their first job, for those that are facing retirement in two or three years. The responsibility each of us has on our credit history and our score is paramount. Everything that every strategy that I can share or that Sarah can share with your, with your listeners can be deployed by everyone across the board without exception. And everyone should. You know, I had a, one, of, one of our uh, clients this past week, I looked at, all, they had a number of inquiries. Now, inquiry is just that. That means somebody applied for credit, somebody checked their credit, and there either will or would not be an account. Well, if there's no account, that's a ding. That lowers your credit score. Get two or three or four of those in a row, you're going to take a nosedive on your credit score, right? And, and uh, it, there's no logic involved. Just from someone checking on your credit will lower your credit score. Is, is that correct, Patrick? Yes. Correct. Correct. It happens. It's it, that happens to everybody. This is why wow. most people are not sitting seven eighty and above. And and here's part of the dilemma in the world of money. The marketing of money is pretty sophisticated and it's very impactful. We're we're all in a sense kind of impulse buyers, right? So you walk in. So this client, I looked at their record. They had six different inquiries. Was well, during the holidays. So I asked them what he what 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 they were doing. Well, I, they, they went to a big box retailer. I won't say who it is. And they said, well, we got to the counter and they said, you know, we'll give you an extra 10% if you apply for a credit card. I said, did you apply? Yeah. I said, why? And said, it's a free extra 20%, extra 10%. I said, well, if you made a $100 purchase and they gave you $10 off, when you get the credit card statement, you pay $22 to get the $10 off. You just lost $12. So people, and plus it lowers your credit score by probably 25 points. 
So that $10 literally. Well, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you there. So again, it, it seems like credit credit can be your friend. Credit, credit can be your foe. It's important to maintain a good uh, FICO score. There are certain credit agencies out there. I think there's, what, three major credit, three? No, Serge holding up three fingers. There's three agencies out there monitoring credit. And when you have anything such as benign as an inquiry, whether you have good credit, can adversely affect your credit. So it seems like it's a pretty complicated system. Let's boil it down by figuring out what can we do to establish Good credit first. Let's start there. What's just what can uh, a person listening to this podcast saying, "Hey, I'm considering buying a home in the in the next couple of years. I've got this great union job, and I want to get set myself up for success in the future." Uh, last episode, we talked about buying a home through Union Home or help Union Home Plus's help in assisting us buying a home. So, how can I establish good credit? Where who would like to answer that one? Like I mentioned in the beginning. It's a reality to build, maintain good credit without borrowing a single dime. So Joe just brought up that question, how do you do it? Very, very simple method that I will give you right now. Basically, all you need is two secured credit cards. And I recommend not traditional banks because if you go to a traditional bank like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, they will actually report as a secured card. So everybody will know that it's your own money. If you go to um, a bank like Capital One, Discover, Citibank, or even Chime, C-H-I-M-E, Chime is amazing. So you establish at least two or three secured cards with a bare minimum of $200. Now, these cards that I just gave you, Capital One, again, Discover, Citibank, and Chime. So you go to Google, type in secured credit card, and you type in the names of the banks that I just told you. These guys will give you a complete free credit card, secured credit card with no annual fees. So that's the key. There is no annual fee. And you can put down $200 and you can get a credit card. Now, here's a trick on how to use it. And this will do the same thing as if you were to use it every single month. Uh, because the algorithm works the same way if you use the card every month or if you do it twice a year. So I always recommend to use it no less than twice a year. So you have, you must show them activity at least once every six months. And back in the day, the magic formula was don't go more than 33% from the given limit. Nowadays, the formula has changed and it's roughly about 25% from the given limit. So if your limit is $200, you want to use about $50. You buy your girlfriend, your wife some flowers, you buy yourself some ice cream twice a year, and then you throw those cards back in your wallet and you keep them there. So you set yourself reminders to use them twice a year. That's what matters the most to show some activity. And uh, you, you can also go to a local credit union because they like union members. So uh, from a local credit union, you can also get a secured institutional loan for up to $300, $500. And that can also help you establish credit. And in about 90 business days, you will see very, very good progress. Now, if you guys are renting, if somebody rents an apartment, there's an amazing program through which we can help uh, report your on-time rent on your credit history up to 24 months age trade line 
that can help two of the three of your bureaus incredibly increase your credit scores. There's also one last secret I'm going to give you, secret, <laughs> is Experian recently came up with what's called Experian Boost, where I'm sure may, mo, mo, most of us have a cable bill, we have a utility bill, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, all of those subscriptions. If we go to experienboost.com, we can upload in there and Experian will tremendously boost our credit score. So just some simple solutions there and hope that helps. It does. And and so let's back it up just a bit. Experian is Experian is one of those three credit agencies that I had mentioned before, isn't it? There's there's two others. Three major credit bureaus that we forgot to identify is Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. Okay. So there's three main credit check companies out there. Right. That's how that works. Is that what you call them? Credit? Yes. Okay. So, so yes, we mean. So, okay. So, and, and Experian being one of those, and Experian has another way that you can kind of help uh, boost your credit score through them. I'm, I'm a little confused. You were saying uh, earlier, Serge, not to rely on a major bank like a Wells Fargo or a, a Bank of America in which to get a credit card, like a lot of uh, Alaska Air, for example. Uh, I happen to have an Alaska Air's credit card. It's issued through Bank of America. So by using that credit card, what's the difference between using that credit card in regard compared to Discover credit card? No, you are absolutely safe with your... I, I was talking about to those of us who wants to remain debt-free, who, who don't want to borrow any money and who wants to build their credit with a secure credit I, card. I, okay, I understand. So when you, when you use those three banks and you open these secured cards, <clears throat> the ones that I mentioned, they will not actually report as a secured card. They will report on your credit as your Alaska credit line. Therefore, the credit bureaus will think, hey, he's got two regular cards. But nobody knows that card. It's your own money. That's it there. I see. Okay, so that's the difference. And again, one last thing I picked up on there, Serge, when you get one of those credit cards, you want to not spend more than 25% of the limit. So if you have a $200 uh, uh, allotment on that card, spend up to $50 twice a year, put the card away. That'll begin to establish that credit score that is so important when it comes time to get, say, a house loan. Does that, does that seem about right? That's a, no, one of the things that I wanted to, to comment on, uh, and, and in addition to Serge's comments and suggestions, is you know, there's for, for those people who are, who are, are not just starting off, who, who don't have any credit issues, um, and just need to have some, some management to get the highest scores possible. Um, we deploy a few different suggestions that everyone can do. Matter of fact, these three things someone can do before they get off the, the uh, before today's end. One of which is um, we all know that it takes diligence and discipline to monitor your, and manage your debt, right? To, to Serge's point, keep your credit cards below 25% relative to their maximum. Another solution is to increase the size of your limit, right? Um, that's very easy to do. And when you do that, you may simply make a, a phone call to the credit card provider and uh, request what they want. At the same time, you can request a lower interest rate. Uh, you call Wells Fargo on the credit card, 
Hello, sir or madam. Uh, I'd like to increase my limit to $5,000 on this card from $2,000. And by the way, Capital One just offered me a 3% fixed interest rate for the first year and no fees. And I'm paying 7% with you. Um, before I, I just thought I'd let you guys know before I decide to go ahead and close my account. Um, more times than not, they will not only increase your limit, but they'll also lower your interest rate on the phone. No one's going to call you and give you lower cost, right? You have to seek it out. This episode of Grit Nation is proudly supported by the Carpenters Local 271, based in Eugene, Oregon. Thanks to their generosity, the hardworking men and women of the Local 271 can now sport an official I've Got Grit high-visibility t-shirt. This U.S.-made garment is produced by Image Point of Waterloo, Iowa, and features the American flag and the newly designed Grit Nation logo. I have to say it looks really sharp, and I'm pleased as punch to have their support. If your local, business, or organization is interested in collaborating with Grit Nation, the Building Trades podcast, I'd be happy to hear from you. Grit Nation is proud to support those who support the blue-collar trades people of America and Canada. And now back to the show. To that end, uh, a lot of us may have a number of credit cards that we just don't use. Or many people feel or think, well, the best idea is I need less credit showing. That'd be good. No, it's not. So if you have credit cards you haven't been using, you close them, your credit score will go down because you now have less credit available. And so the key on that is what do I do with these credit cards I don't use? Uh, one, put them in an envelope, keep track of them about twice a year, call the credit card company, make sure there's been no activity, there's been no fraudulent use, and keep the accounts open. That will show the algorithms within uh, the reporting agencies the, uh, that you have a lot of credit available. One of the things that that's, dumps the score so quickly, when we talk about the high balance to limit, if you've got five credit cards, they're all maxed out. Why is your score down 100 points, 150 points? Is because you're probably only one paycheck away from default. And it's, they can determine within 60 days when you'll be default, right? When you've got hundreds of millions of data point entries, it's a pretty sophisticated system. So many people, most people, it's interesting to say when you say most, but I've seen tens of thousands of credit reports over the last 30 years. And I can tell you that most haven't seen their credit report in years, don't have any idea what's on it, don't know if someone's using it, uh, don't know if the information's accurate. The other half of the people don't verify their statements every single month to make sure the charges are accurate, right? And so these are all things that someone can do today that will have an absolute positive impact on their credit. Whether or not they're trying to buy something tomorrow or get a house next year doesn't really, well, next month doesn't matter. But if you're looking to make a plan in the next three, six, nine, 12 months, then these are things you need to, to enact on your behalf right away. And you're probably going to be looking at a 50 to 100 point score increase. That is significant. That saves you, over the life of most loans, tens of thousands of dollars in needless interest payments. Wow, that is amazing. Honestly, to me, Patrick, it sounds counterintuitive that the more credit cards you have, the more the higher your uh, limits are. In my limited understanding of the credit world, it seems counterintuitive that that you would be a better credit risk or have a better credit score because you have more credit cards and more potential to get yourself in debt. But you're saying it's actually the opposite, that having those credit cards with a limit on there, but not actually using them can bring down or bring up your credit score. That, that's absolutely accurate. You know, and when it comes to you know a little point on inquiries, 
And to explain things in simple terms, well, how these algorithms work is it's not just the fact that you applied for credit. If there isn't an account there or you have multiple inquiries, the computer, and they don't think they calculate, right, is going to calculate that perhaps someone denied you credit. What don't we know about you? Why were you denied credit? Do you have too much? Do you have too little? All those little flags and points are data entry points that affect the score. No one has the scoring module. No one really knows exactly how it works. We've determined over the years with different technologies how to affect the system and get a positive response. Um, and, uh, you know, case in point, it's an interesting thing. Perhaps some of you or some of your listeners have heard, well, how do I get my credit established more without getting a new account? Well, then add yourself to your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend's, your mother's account. And by doing that, you now report it onto your credit report. That was fine until the system got wind of it and stopped it. So adding yourself to somebody isn't necessarily going to get you an improvement in your score. Mm. Right? There may be an inquiry attached to it that may actually lower your score. So every time that we as consumers try to catch up with these, these systems that are maybe blocking us from doing what we think is the right thing, they, they, it, becomes, it does become counterintuitive. But it, it is the reality for all of us. And if you can accept that, the one good thing about having an extra three or four credit cards, you have the ability to weather a storm. You know, a lot of folks don't have enough money to buy a new transmission in the truck if it fails tomorrow, right? And so those are, gives a good explanation of why those credit scoring models are, are, are presented that way to all of us. So I hope that helps. It sounds like it's, it's very technically sophisticated. I, I think probably the industry as a whole learned a lot after the 2006, 2007 housing bubble that uh, the credit industry really had to hold itself. And I think that the Fed stepped in and tried to, to hold uh, people accountable to making sure that people didn't get themselves into uh, harm's way financially. And I think you said as a credit lender, you know, you have a fiduciary responsibility not to just hand over buckets of money to people that potentially could find themselves mismanaging it and going bankrupt because of it. You bet. I mean, that's you, you, you hit it right, the nail right on the head, Joe. Um, you know, when it comes to, to, to creditworthiness, the system isn't trying to find ways to say no. It's trying to find ways to say yes without hurting you. And that really becomes the crux of the matter because that opens up a whole new gateway to liability and no one wants liability. So, you know, and when it comes to the, the housing market, you cannot put a loan through for a borrower, if it does not inure to their benefit, if it doesn't meet the most stringent underwriting affordability guidelines, and doesn't jeopardize their credit substantially, it can't go through the system. This is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I get clients at the Times that tell me, yeah, it's turned down over there. They're not as good as you guys are. <laughs> One, I agree. Um, however, it's important to understand that we all have to live in the same criteria. The difference is is how we take a very consultative approach to working with clients. I know Serge and his clients, same situation. They, they need to go through a lot of data pulling, find out some information, and not just find out the mechanics of it. Why did it happen? Can we leave you in a better position? Getting your score up is a mechanical process that is black and white. Just plug it in, do it, and it gives you a result. It doesn't change the underlying situation that may have caused it. Uh, we take it a step further to make sure that we actually help people, not just raise their score to kind of get around the system quickly to get the house done, right? Um, 
even though that takes place, we want them to come back and, and when they walk away from the table in a better, more secure, more stable position than where they started. And uh, I think that's the, that is the minimum standard, I think, for any organization should have for their clients. So what is different about the construction industry, people in the building trades? Why would their credit scores uh, be different, perceived to be different than the, the, the average person who has you know, consistent nine to five, 40 hour a week, 50, 51 weeks a year work? How does a, 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 someone in the building trades credit differ and why? I'll just not to, I don't want to talk over Serge, but um, uh, I, we've been working with the building trades uh, labor organizations for 22 years now. And we've seen <clears throat> from a variety of locals, but in the, in the Washington Building Construction Trades Department, some 58, 60,000 members, why do we continually see, seem to find a lower average credit score than some other professions? And when you look a little bit deeper, especially in construction field, what's happening right now in, in Clay Ellum? Snow. What happened to the house building today? Nothing, <laughs> right? You have a higher level of layoffs or, or uh, suspensions, if you will, between job sites. Um, whatever your call number is, if you're between job sites, maybe five weeks, six weeks, all those disruptions with, uh, affect your income. And let's face it, you know, if you're in the trades, you make a finite hourly wage. You have a finite amount of debt you have to pay. You pull your income out of that and just go on unemployment for two months, you're going to feed your children before you pay Amex, right? And so I think that part of that, we tell uh, our building trades people, is if we know that, prepare for it. Give yourself some leeway. When you don't need the money, put the credit cards on there or get the loan, put it in the bank on a CD, prepare for that time frame when you're going to need to call upon it. The challenge is it takes discipline that you can't go out and buy a car with it. Uh, you can't go out and buy some, you know, a new tool or whatever. And if you do those things, you're going you're, you're gonna to really buffer yourself against the challenges that the building trades has. We see it just as a seasonality. And there, but there is one other, other reason, and this is, goes back to our very first podcast, and that comes down to financial well-being. If the trades are not going to educate their people, where will they find that education? They won't. And if they don't have the education, you can imagine what's going to happen. And so we, that's why we provide the resources like Serge for those who have some severe challenges or just want to start getting some credit uh, to financial wellness classes so that we can make sure everyone has enough information so they can make the right decisions. It's not complicated. It doesn't cost a dime. But everyone walks away with a better understanding and a higher level of confidence. And that shows all the way through. If you look at statistically, uh, I, I don't have it for just the building trades, but if you look at statistically, um, families that are underwater financially have experienced bankruptcy or near bankruptcy. You see the highest level of, of uh, no-shows at work. You have a much, much higher level of sick days. Uh, you have late days. There's just a lot of production that wanes when people are going through these types of challenges. And if you have credit challenges, you're likely going to have financial challenges right next to it, whether it's intentional or it's bad decisions, or it was a, you know, in a medical anomaly that knocked somebody off their feet, any number of things. But it's not the end of the world. You don't accept it. You go in, you plug in some basic strategies, you get back on the horse. And in three to six months, it's, it, could, it could be as if it never happened. I've, I've seen scores go from 580 to 780 in less than 12 months, right? That is a different world for some. 
All right, so so here we started off with what is credit, uh, how do I establish credit, how do I improve my credit score. Now we're going to get back into what surge got into the business by. I've had that that bad luck, that run of bad luck. I have done some significant damage to my credit score. What can I do in order to bring that back into good graces with the the powers that be in the in the uh, the, the big credit? What can I do, surge, to repair bad credit? Well, um, first of all, if you don't have time to deal with it yourself, you call us and uh, my company actually provides you settlement coordinator that will actually help you to negotiate, to settle. If you have any unpaid collections, we actually represent you. We handle the whole nine yards. Your client manager will go item by item through every single thing on your credit report, every derogatory item, bad item we'll talk about. We'll make a solid plan and uh, all of that is available for a very affordable fee. Everybody can afford us. Uh, no contract, no commitments. Uh, if you have time to deal with it yourself, the plan is actually, uh, it's not that complicated if you want to deal with it yourself, but most people, why they come to us is because they don't have the time to deal with it themselves because it takes so many hours sometimes even to negotiate and settle one unpaid collection. You spend hours and hours uh, being transferred from one rep to another rep and uh, it's it can become very, very time-consuming, but basically anything that they report on your credit, uh, the credit repair, uh, the credit reporting companies uh, have up to 45 to 60 business days to reply. Um, if it verified with the actual creditor, then it can stay on your credit for up to seven years. If they file for legal, they have up to six years from the date of last activity to actually file for a judgment. Then it extends the stage of limitation to up to 10 years, which can be indefinitely chase you and it can uh, basically they can file for extension and keep on chasing you. And a judgment is an open door to garnishment. So now if they get a garnishment against you, they have up to 90 days that they can garnish your wages for up to 25% from all of your paychecks. And there's no way to get out of it. Your employer will have to withhold that amount from your paycheck and pay the creditor. So you don't need lawyers to help you stop a garnishment and you don't need lawyers to help you stipulate a judgment and get on the payment plan. All right. So as we get close to the end of our conversation, I'm going to kind of put you guys both on the spot. Imagine you are creating a one slide PowerPoint presentation and you want to put up two to three bullet points, just two to three takeaways for someone looking at this PowerPoint slide first on how to um, establish good credit, Patrick, and then Serge, how to repair bad credit. So uh, approach this from, from that perspective, two to three points. What would you put on your slide, Patrick Town? I would say the first being to uh, begin monitoring your credit. Uh, make sure, number one, that your balance relative to your limit is substantial, over 75 to 80%, right? Secondly, I would make sure you have enough available credit. And the third is old school. Grandpa told you, pay your bills on time. Right. If it looks like there's going to be uh, a challenge with things, jump in ahead of time. And I think lastly, I think that um, 
by monitoring your credit, you're able to be aware of your spending habits and realize that maybe you don't need that latte every day if it's going to make your your uh, your visa payment go behind for a month, right? Um, and if you have, and lastly, if you have any questions on it, if you just don't get it, or you have a unique or specific situation, then just reach out to myself or reach at the Surge, and we'll be, one of us will be able to answer for you. All right, Surge, someone dealing with bad credit. Two or three talking points there for the for the takeaway. Um, definitely order your credit report from all the three bureaus and learn how to actually read your reports, identify your balances, identify if you lack open credit, then open enough cards to reestablish credit, which can get really confusing. So that's where we come in the picture. But having the right idea is starting with or with ordering the three bureaus report, which you can get either from uh, my FICO or from straight from the three credit bureaus once a year at no charge, uh, because my FICO will send you like a hundred page report. And then if you order straight from the three bureaus, it's going to be the same story. And they'll send you like 300 pages of reports. So um, yeah, identify the problems and make a plan and execute it. Okay. And I'm going to finish up. If I had to make a slide, I'd say, number one, understand the importance of having good credit for lifetime big purchases like houses and vehicles and the importance of having good credit. Number two, work your butt off to establish good credit and repair any bad credit. And number three, if in doubt, work with some professionals, get the professional help you need and work on making sure you have the best credit available to you. It'll save you a lot of money in the long run. Patrick, how can people get in touch with Union Home Plus and Patrick Town? The most the simplest way is to go to our website, unionhomeplus.org, and uh, you'll find phone numbers and emails, ways to reach out. You can reach out to listeners that they want to connect personally. It's just my initials, PT, at unionhomeplus.org. All right. Thank you again for taking your time to be on the show. I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. My guests today have been Patrick Town and Serge Bagdasaroff. For more information to help you dive deeper into the subject of financial credit, be sure to visit the show notes for this episode or visit the Grit Nation website at www.gritnationpodcast.com. 